Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Catherine Dempsey. Catherine is a Newfoundlander by choice, having spent 35 years living and enjoying the special culture of her adopted home. With a background in bookselling and teaching, and two decades promoting the history and heritage of the province, Catherine now lives on four acres in Flat Rock, raising a garden, chicken, and bees. Catherine is also the president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Beekeeping Association, which encourages those interested in keeping bees to work together to learn best practices and to protect the province's honeybees from pests and diseases. In two short years, the association has grown to over 100 members, or wannabes. Hi, Catherine, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Dale. Good morning. Uh, how did you get interested in bees? Have you always loved bees? I think I've always loved bees. Um, they, uh, I, I like gardens, and so um, I was used to seeing the bees around, and I've had a garden, and so I would watch them coming and going, and they were mainly bumblebees at that point. But um, in my previous life, with the I worked with the Historic Sites Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, and um, one of the products that we carried was local honey, and so I got to talk to um, Aubrey Golding of Paradise Farms, and I thought, oh, you can raise bees here in Newfoundland. So um, about, oh golly, six or seven years ago, um, just started to follow up on it, and there was a special evening at the rooms um, where they showed a movie on Wednesday night. They showed a movie, and Aubrey brought some equipment in, and he started talking. And uh, So then I started to learn a little bit more about it, and I said, okay. So I went home and talked to the great builder of our home, which is my husband, Jim, and said, have I got a project for you? You can build me hives. And he thought about it for a little while, and we did a bit of reading, and we suddenly realized it was going to take us over a year to be actually ready to uh, get our first nukes. And you get your bees here in the province. There's only, you have to buy bees that are um, uh, born and bred in Newfoundland. You need Newfoundland bees because uh, we are free of the four worst pests of uh, beekeeping, and that is Varroa destructor mite, tracheal mite, um, wax moth, and a small hive beetle. Which gives us a unique standing in Canada and in North America. Uh, we're the only place here. There's a few other places. Isle of Man has uh, clean bees, as they're called, and there's a place off the coast of Australia. Tasmania used to be clear, um, and Western Australia at the moment is clear of these four pests. You you said you know as a gardener you would see bees uh, coming through and and talked about bumblebees. I think a lot of people they see this type of insect and they think bumblebees and honeybees and hornets are all kind of one thing, but they're very different. Hugely different. Yeah. So how how are they how are they separate? All right. Um, honeybees are there's there's Western honeybees, which is a European honeybee, and that's been imported to North America about 150 years ago. Um, there's Asian honeybees and a couple of other species of honeybees, which make the hive. This is what we think of um, in the traditional way of the the old skep, the the grass, um, you know, cone that uh, pe we think of as being traditional. Um, but this 
is where the bees get together. They, the queen, one queen to rule them all, and she has uh, all these girls working for her. Um, has a bunch of drones, which are the males, um, who have one purpose in life, and that is to mate with a new queen. Of course, when they mate, they die. So, but they actually hang out on a corner. They have real Newfoundland bees. They're corner boys <laughs> until they um, corner, do their corner thing. Corner bees. Corner bees. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, they produce enough honey that they can, with a good nectar flow, make extra that people can harvest. So, and they live this sort of obvious life. A bumblebee or some of the other small bees, and we have about 70 species of native pollinators here in Newfoundland. Um, they're more like solitary bees. You've seen these little things called mason bee houses and where the bee has little chambers. Or um, bumblebees live in the ground. And the queen, there'll be 150 to 200 in her little group. She puts food in for them, but they don't make enough for making honey. Um, you've got leaf cutter bees and other kinds of bees. So these are all nice. Bees are great because they are interested in doing their job. Wasps are not so nice. <laughs> <laughs> now they have a purpose in life, I'm sure, and they make lovely paper structures. Um, those are the yellow jackets. Um, but they're mean and they hurt and they actually can attack your bees to try and steal their honey. So <clears throat> we don't like them very much. Hornets are worse. And there's a um, one I was just reading about that has been making its way from Asia, an Asian hornet that um, hangs, it flies, it's big, and it flies outside the door of a hive and snatches the honeybees out of the air as they come back to the hive and kills them. Now, we don't have them here in uh, Newfoundland or in North America, as far as I know, but they have made it all the way across Europe, from France up to Scotland, and the only thing that's helping is to keep your hives at higher and higher altitudes, like up hills. Um, and they, that seems to help a bit, but they're really good on taking out the um, uh, Western Austra, the Western honeybee, the European honeybee. So you said that we have uh, about 150 year of kind of bee yeah. history in North America. Uh, yes, um, people brought skeps and bees over from Europe. The immigrants came over and they brought their own little immigrants with them. Mm. Um, and it took. Uh, they came to the East Coast first, and they worked their way over to the West Coast. Um, I think Mr. Langstroth, the man who uh, came up with the design for the most commonly used hive nowadays, um, did that about the turn of the century, or it might have even been a little earlier. The lovely thing about the Langstroth hive is that, um, now we're going to talk a bit about movable frames and interchangeability. <clears throat> so a Langstroth hive looks like a a, a tower or a column of, and it's stacked boxes. The boxes are called supers. And um, you can have a deep super and there's 10 frames that hang like file folders inside each of those supers. Um, a deep one is used as a brood box and this is where the queen will be working and laying eggs and the bees will also store honey and pollen down in that area. But as they, they, they reuse their little cells over and over. So if they eat up the pollen out of one, they might fill it up with nectar or they might, the queen might come by and lay eggs in it. Um, 
you try and end up with about two deeps at least of uh, brood and then on top of that you would put what are called honey supers. They tend to be a little, they're mediums or they're um, a little shorter. Got another 10 frames so that the bees can draw wax and make more comb and fill that with the honey. That you, you make sure you leave the bees about 60 pounds of honey, 60 to 80 pounds of honey, and you can take anything extra. So you really have to be very careful to keep your bees well fed, and the best food for them is their own honey. Mm. Um, so the, the Langstroth hive, Mr. Langstroth was the guy who, um, who designed it, and the lovely thing is, because everything is built to a specific size, 10 frames, all the measurements are the same. You can do interchanging. And if you, if, if, if I wanted to buy bees from the West Coast or from down in Placentia, I could uh, go down and I would be given four frames, two with baby bees on it and one with honey and pollen or two with honey and pollen. And I would install those right into my brand new super. And the way they'd go, the queen would start, she's there with them and she would keep on laying and the population would start to grow and they would all move out the door. So it's very easy to do that. Movable frames, which is what these, you see pictures of the people picking the frames up and down, um, are excellent because you can inspect on a regular basis for to see that your queen is alive, that the eggs are being laid in a nice even pattern that um, there's lots of nectar being put away and turned into honey and that the bees, you can see them coming and going with pollen, but uh, it's really great if you can move these things around. Um, you can then inspect for diseases and in other parts of the world, they'd be looking for uh, ver the, the varroa mite, all the pests that I talked about, but also for American fowl brood, European fowl brood, all things we don't have. Signs of nosema, which um, it looks like diarrhea, bee diarrhea, you know. So anyway, um, <laughs> we don't. We've we've not. We've been so lucky that we haven't had to know about these diseases here. Right. So that's been really wonderful. So when you when you decided that you were going to start this, you know, life as a beekeeper, you said mm -hmm. it took about a year from the time that you yep. decided it to the time you got your bees. Where did you get your bees from? I bought my bees from uh, Pasadena from the Newfoundland Bee Company. Um, Paige Marchant and Andrea Skinner um, are keeping bees out there. And Andrea's father, Wally Skinner, is, um, I would call him one of our pioneers. He came here, he'd kept bees in Nova Scotia, and when he came here in the 70s, he started keeping bees. And at that time, there were, there were a couple of other people who kept bees as well, um, but not very many. And um, at that time, what they would do is they'd get new bees every year. They'd order another package of bees from Nova Scotia or wherever, and um, Hawaii and all over the world. Um, and they killed them at the fall. At, you know, the, you, when you took your honey, you killed off your hive and you started over. That was the way then. Now, once the diseases started to come along, we got a ban put on importation of bees and it became important to learn how to overwinter mm -hmm. our bees. And um, one of the great things about what Wally had done was he, he um, 
his daughters came into the beekeeping with him and they learned how to breed and um, brought, had already brought in other strains. So they had started to produce a bee that is very nicely suited to Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll say Newfoundland in particular because it's mainly on the island. Um, they're a hygienic bee, which means that they clean up um, and they sort of try and kick out dead bees and things like this. They're winter hardy for us. Um, they're gentle, a very gentle bee. Um, makes it nice for handling them because there's other bees that are a little bit more and even in the fall they can get a little testy so all these characteristics now one of the other things I'll tell you about when I first brought my bees back I had to drive I, I made my order um, waited you don't really hear too much and because the girls are waiting until they find out how their bees made it through the winter. They can't tell you how many they're going to have to sell until they've learned if they if their hives have made it through the winter and or did they lose a lot of them to cold or whatever. So um, uh, I drove out to pick them up and I brought them back and I went to put them in and I looked at them and I thought, oh my goodness, these are, they don't look like bumblebees at all. <laughs> They're much more plain, a sweet little bee, and now I think they're absolutely beautiful. <laughs> but it took me a while to get used to my new children, um, you know, and I was used to the fat little ones that we think of or look at as Easter decorations and stuff, yeah. you know, the fuzzy ones. Um, and then you start to look at everything through different eyes because you're watching them, you go and you sit and you watch them coming back and forth to the hive, and they've got their little socks on and they're stuffed with pollen and they go in and they do their little dances on the front step to teach the other bees where to go to find good stuff and um, so you're you're learning through this whole process and when you go down and look at your garden you look at dandelions with delight especially early in the spring because they're there you um, you look at all the other bees and you can suddenly tell them all apart you know the different species and you're looking and you're looking at a little tiny scrawny thing that isn't a honeybee and it's not a bumblebee but it's another pollinator. So has having bees changed you as a gardener? Oh yeah. How so? I don't mow. <laughs> <laughs> um, no we mow but not very often. Um, we plant things and I'd always tried but that was for myself to grow things that come from the spring all the way as late in the fall. And quite frankly, I used to hate Japanese knotweed. I think many of us do, that's the mile a minute. But it's flowering in October and the bees like it. So now I don't hate it as much as I used to. Still try and keep it out of my septic field and stuff, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's got a purpose now that it didn't have before. Um, watch for plants you learn start to learn what plants are not good for the bees um, buttercups are not did uh, dandelions are but buttercups are not so you are adjusting what you would grow that way um, i have a lot more work in that my apples pears plum and trees and cherries all have way more fruit than they used to oh, have interesting, yeah. i'm still eating my own apples right now and mm -hmm. that's from last year um, and uh, for the rest of the garden, you know, the strawberries do really well. The bees love them, and and my raspberries and uh, uh, not cranberries, uh, 
not gooseberries, currants. Red and black currants are uh, loaded all the time. You, you talked about the, the challenge of overwintering here. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, that situation? Did you face that situation as a new beekeeper? Yeah. First year, I got my bees through the winter, and I went up to check, and I had two hives, which is always a good thing to try, you know. And when I came through the winter, one hive, the queen had died over the winter, so I learned by watching how the bees, I think there were still bees there, and I thought, oh, I'm fine. And I wasn't opening it because it was cold out. But um, those, this one hive didn't seem to be as busy as the other one. And then I noticed that the bees were confused. They were dwindling, and they weren't too smart. They, they'd lost their purpose. And because the queen had died, um, they weren't able to make a new queen. You know, that she hadn't started to lay before she died, so they had nothing to turn make a new queen with. So that hive died out, and I cleaned it up. But the other hive had come through with flying colors, and it started, we uh, by June, it swarmed. And so suddenly you're into, hey, I got an empty hive, and I got a bunch of bees. So I suddenly was back to having two hives. Mm. Can, can you explain uh, swarming and when that happens and, and what happens next? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, when a hive gets really going, um, in the spring, the queen will start to lay and lay and lay. Um, and if a hive gets too full of bees, um, sometimes, or, or, there, or there can be other reasons too, but suddenly you will get the bees making a new queen and the virgin queen will fly away and half the hive will go with her. And so that's called a swarm. I prefer to call it <laughs> colonization <laughs> um, because swarm has a, a, um, a, a menacing tone to it. And this is actually um, not what the bees are at that moment in time. They're not menacing. They've filled up as much as they can with honey. They just want to keep the queen protected. They go and attach themselves to a tree somewhere and the scout bees go out and look for a place that they would be a good place for a new home. So you can, if you're ready and you can, and they're at a level that you can catch them, you bring them back, you cut them out of the tree or whatever, and you bring them and you can install them in a hive. And a lot of the time they stay. So how do, how do you convince them to, to go into a new hive? Well, um, what we did was um, we sent Jim up the tree <laughs> and with his mat, with his veil on and everything, and it was dark. We found out about 8.30 at, on uh, June 22nd or something. So it was a full moon too, thank God. And um, up the tree he went and he sawed the branch off face to face with the ball of bees. And we, he'd roped it because, you know, he's a health and safety kind of a guy. And we gently lowered the branch down and brought it right to the hive that we'd set up. And um, we basically dumped it into the hive and put the lid on. And since the queen was in there, everybody just established themselves and started life again as a new hive. Um, one of the things that's really important, though, is you've got to, your bee has to get a chance to fly and get a good mating, because if she's not properly mated, she will not be able to lay enough 
good eggs for two or three years to uh, you know get the bees to stay, and then then you got a problem. So how long uh, do you have a hive before you can actually harvest honey? Um, it all depends. If you were starting a hive with a drawn comb, like the bees, the, the, the when they're young, they um, make the wax, the honeycomb, <clears throat> but that takes a huge amount of energy. And so if the bees can start to forage and bring food and um, everything, and the queen can start to lay right away, um, because the hive has comb in it, you're going to move faster. Um, so you might be able to harvest some honey. Most of us here in Newfoundland don't take honey in the first year. Um, and um, I've been doing it for five years now. I've had a number of failures. I've had a lot of learning. And I've had 20 cups of honey <laughs> total in, in little, you know, I managed to take 20 cups of honey. Um, because I was very careful. I didn't take any for anybody except me. And uh, um, so it's not something that you do. In... <laughs> You're not going into mass production anytime soon. Not no. soon. No. <laughs> I'm hoping to get more hives. I've got two coming, two that are alive right now. Yeah. So um, we're watching them pretty carefully. We don't go and bug them very much. We just uh, go up and check. I Some of our other members... Um, somebody had posted that he'd seen a shrew coming out of his hive. So he was, um, that's very bad because you get the shrews and the mice moving in and the shrews like to eat the bees. And um, so you have to put screen across the front of your um, door to your hive. You got to leave some ventilation in the winter. And the screen is a quarter inch or smaller um, mesh. And it's big enough for a honeybee to get out, but small enough to keep a shrew out. But the three-eighths was too big. Uh, you know, shrews were getting in. Mm. So that was uh, a little worry. One year, a lot of people lost hives. The so shrew, shrew moves in and just eats, eats them. The, eats it from the inside out, yeah. How... Uh, how many members do you? About a, about a hundred members or At so. At the now? moment, we've got a hundred members. That doesn't mean a hundred bee yards. <clears throat> we have the. Uh, a lot of them are like my husband, Jim, and I are uh, one bee yard. We got two hives, so you know we might have five hundred hives now in the province. Um, we have uh, most of our people are very new to it, like within a year or two of starting. Um, but they are really enthusiastic and sharing a fair bit of information among themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to ask about that, just that process of learning. Like, how did you learn to become a beekeeper? Who did you learn from? And, and how do new people get that information? Well, um, I started with a book, um, uh, you know, reading. And that first swarm we caught when, when our neighbor said, Catherine, Catherine, I think there's a swarm in my tree. Can I help? Because we'd made sure she knew that uh, how lovely the bees were. You know, she was excited, not wanting to get rid of them. Anyway, so when I, um, we went, we went running into the house, we got dressed and we grabbed the book and we're there <laughs> trying to read the book, you know, as we tried to catch our swarm. Um, but as well as that, once we got the association going, some people have gone at it very seriously. There's a few who are trying to become real commercial beekeepers, and they've been going over to Dalhousie to um, four modules on beekeeping. Um, but our membership now has get some um, 
you know, we're, we're, we're starting to reach a point where we're trying to develop a mentorship program right. and a, um, a helping companion program. And our members go right across the province. So most are here on the Avalon, but we've got more and more. And so just a weekend ago or two weekends ago, um, there was a gathering of 12 people out on the Bonavista who uh, some are new and three or four very experienced. Mike Patterson from Bonavista Vista Social Club mm-hmm. um, is taking a lead there. And uh, um, Peter Armitage and Jeff Harris, they're all out in that area, all experienced beekeepers. So that's going to be a nice group. And over on the West Coast, Paige and Andrea's father, Wally, did a workshop, not last summer, but the summer before, people had a day that they could come over. Gerard Smith down in Placentia has G&M Family Farms and he um, has done uh, workshops and there's two coming up, uh, two day two two day workshops for beginning beekeepers. So we're all getting better at learning mm. and there's going to be a webinar out of UBC for the next f- four Saturdays in the afternoon, two hours each afternoon and I'm signed up for that for sure. The bees have been in the news here a little bit over the last couple of years uh, because we are an area where we don't have some of these pests that our places have. And there were some bees that were going to be brought in or have been brought in from from Western Australia. Uh, Can we talk a little bit briefly about that that controversy and how, how it was dealt with? First of all, the bringing of the bees in was legal. Um, It was done as a result of a terrible winter and people not being able to get bees here. Um, However, it's a really big uh, and difficult job to go through the paperwork in order to bring them in and it's expensive. And um, for us at the Beekeeping Association, we were quite upset that uh, people were doing it because we had no knowledge, no, no knowledge in advance, no way to be prepared for it and then we um, got very little information about it because uh, privacy rules uh, affect that kind of thing. Uh, We did find out that the bees were clean of the four bad diseases, four bad pests I told you about, Um, but uh, and bees were tested from these quarantined uh, bee yards for the whole year. Um, and then other bees were tested as well. And there hadn't really been testing done since 2010 because we didn't need to. So um, maybe that might have been good. There could be an issue around an addition to um, uh, bringing in a whole bunch of bees like that kind of when you've only got at that time maybe 400 hives in the province could have an effect on the genetic makeup. I was telling you what a good bee we had for our area. Well, you suddenly introduced a big unknown that we don't know about. So um, we'll wait and see how that comes out. But the way that I feel is that although we did not get those four pests and we dodged the bullet, we didn't stay out of harm's way. If people want more information about the Newfoundland and Labrador Beekeeping Association, where can they go? They can go to the web to www.nlbeekeeping.ca and there's contact information there so that they can get in touch. They can join. 
they can um, <clears throat> you know do you know to take part there's a couple of Facebook pages a general one where we get all the regular questions and uh, then one that's more technical and that's for our members okay great and I'm curious you with the, the the honey that you do collect what's what's your favorite way to use it do you Oh, how do I use it? On toast. Honey on toast. <laughs> Remember that old song? <laughs> At breakfast time, I love it the most. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I've, I've cooked a little bit with it. Um, I remember making a banana bread with honey one time that it tasted like you were outdoors in the field. Oh, I used whole wheat as well, and it was so granola. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, um, it, it was pretty darn good. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening. <laughs>